Tonight's message will help clarify and bring it in. This entire series has to be brought together because it is a step. It is a step and a lot of them to come. It ain't going to be over till long about April unless Jesus says do something in the middle, then we do something in the middle. But it's going to take some time to go through this. Been calling this the overcomers. Thank you, Kenneth. Part three is this one message here, and we're going to call this the power of covetousness. Um, two weeks ago, we started our worldwide 21 days of fasting. Anybody been fasting? You've been going through this with us and going through the points that we've been giving out, and those points, Pastor Charlie's been putting them down specifically for our local body here, Okay. We also started this new series, and the first message in the series, we brought up some interesting questions. What is it that keeps us from living to our potential in Jesus? Here's a hint, trophies. We sung about it this morning. Ask us what weakens us. What is our kryptonite, if you will, that keeps us weak? What is weakening us as individuals and in turn as a church? As we, are we as effective as the early church was in reaching their world? Remember, they had uh, nothing that we have today. They didn't have screens on the wall. They didn't have telephone, they didn't have internet, Facebook. They didn't have cars. They didn't have any of the stuff they had. But they turned their world upside down. Why aren't we asking the questions about our ineffectiveness was one of the questions that I wanted us to ask ourselves during this time of fasting. Why aren't we seeking the answers? We can come in here any given Wednesday night and if we don't get control of the service before whatever was on Fox News that afternoon can turn into a big discussion about telling about what all the problems are but yet not coming up with any solutions and particularly not any solutions that might be ours to bear. Is it because we don't ask these questions that if we ask ourselves these questions, we may uncover issues we aren't willing to deal with? If we don't ask the questions and act on the answers, we'll remain far below the level of life we're promised and called to. And folks, the consequences may be eternal. You need to hear that this morning because you don't hear that a lot in America anymore. The consequences may be eternal. Whether you're sitting here today and you're not saved or whether you are, that you've asked Jesus to come into your heart, we have to follow him. I told you this journey is necessary. It won't be quick and it will sometimes be painful. It will take your effort. If you come here to kill an hour to say, I went to church, and none of this gets in our hearts, none of this is what we put to prayer during our time of fasting, it's just another message. You'll either agree with it, you won't agree with it, and by 2 o'clock today you won't remember nothing about it. It will take our effort. You remember the day you got saved? It took some effort, didn't it? You had to talk to Jesus. You had to see what was going on, and you had to invite him into your heart. It took something on our part. We can never buy ourselves free, but we do got to talk to him about it. And if we don't have that conversation, then we'll be lost. A surgeon performs a surgery to remove a cancer, and it is painful, and the recovery sometimes takes 
some time, but it will save the life. It will be difficult, the recovery will sometimes. And the Holy Ghost loves us more than any surgeon. And he wants to remove the cancer that is weakening us and ultimately will kill us. He will do it with our he will not do it without our consent or with our efforts with him, our participation. Did you know that? You can ask God all day long to help me with this, help me with that, and if you don't participate or don't take in what he says, what 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 prescription he gives, then tomorrow you wake up and you pray the same prayer again. You say, I don't understand why God ain't doing nothing. Because this is a walk and a journey with him. And that's what we have to do. It'll take our participation. And James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. And this tells us that if we hear a word from God, from Scripture, from the Holy Spirit, or good sound teaching, or maybe just in conversation, but fail to act on it, we have actually deceived ourselves. Saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost don't mean you're making it to heaven if there's something sitting in your life that needs to be fixed. Can't sit on that boat anymore because he is shining the light and telling you it ain't what you think. You ever know people like that? Mean as a snake, but they're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and will down anybody that don't agree with them. Who's deceiving who? That's the question. And we have to look at ourselves. We can't be pointing fingers. My job is not to fix you. My job this morning and through this series is to bring the message and the Holy Ghost will be the one that does the fixing and he won't do it unless we let him. That's a good place for an amen because you need to get this in your spirit. Otherwise, ain't nothing going to happen. The proof that we believe something isn't when we agree with what somebody teaches us. It's actually when we act on it. That's the proof. Last week we addressed the question of what weakens us. As children of God, it makes perfect sense that our lives reflect Him. And, in, and this is made clear in Scripture in 1 John 4 and 17. As He is, so are we in the world. Okay? 2 Peter 1 and 4 says that we're partakers of the divine nature, of His divine nature. That says that we belong to Him. And 1 John 3 and 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God. It doesn't say it's someday in the future, not when we get to heaven. It's now. It's today. And we got to walk like it. we got to live like it. we got to let him do the work. And we got to do it together. We should manifest unselfish character, unconditional love, joy, peace, supernatural power, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and have perceptive insight. This is all parts of the character, character of God. And if those things aren't happening in us, something's wrong. And therefore, that's some of the stuff that weakens us. Why aren't we seeing these characteristics on an individual level or on a church level? Could it be because we just ain't doing the book? Go visit people eight times a week. Take them some cornbread and beans and taters. Show them that you love them. Can I ask you a question? What in the world good does that do? Is that really and truly caring if whenever they've got a spiritual issue that has got them weakened and we don't have the conversation? That's what Jesus did. That's what Paul did. That's why the early church, that's what they all did, and that's why they were turning their world upside down. Show them you love them. The best thing you'll ever do to show anybody you love them is give them truth out of the Word of God. Amen? 
and pray for them that the Word of God can come inside their heart and that it will take root and there will be some fruit coming off of it. That's the best thing in the world we can do. Brother Eddie, I could give you gallons of potato soup this week, but if you got sin setting in your life, son, the best thing I'll ever do to you is help you to get through it. Otherwise, you'll just die full. But I don't think hell's going to be comfortable whether you're hungry or whether you're full. Nice feel-good messages and conversations just don't cut it. Now, when there is something that is weakening us as individuals and ultimately as the church community, and it will eventually kill us. There are churches, I told you last week, around this nation that used to be big, vibrant churches in their communities that are closing down because nobody's there. Did God happen to move away? Did God happen to change? Then what happened? We wouldn't like it. And in fact, it's even wrong if a doctor didn't diagnose a problem and start the corrective procedures. Would we? We would sue him if he didn't do it right. Mama died and the doctors killed her. It's the same for us as Christians, whether you're a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, or whether you're doing nothing. By the way, if you're a Christian and doing nothing, something's wrong. Paul loved the people of Corinth. And by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he diagnosed and addressed the spiritual issues that they had. There was no taboo of don't address that from the pulpit. That's from the devil because he don't want you receiving what you need to have. That's what he does, right? He don't want truth coming in our lives. I can tell you now through this series, he's going to come up with stuff for probably each and every one of us that will want us to stay away from church. We'll get mad at somebody. The tires ain't going to go flat. Something's going to happen that's going to keep us away. But you know what? We've combated that. And this is where participation comes in. Pastor Charlie, have you called us up on the messages online? Thank you. And this week, do the same thing. Very most of importance. If you don't get it or if you did get it and if you need to go back over it, go back and listen to it. And if you need to speed it up so that I sound like one of Alvin and the Chipmunks, that's fine. If you don't like my voice, that's cool. But go with what the truth is and what's being revealed. That's what we have to go with, okay? And so we're getting these up so that we're combating through that. In 1 Corinthians 11.30 said, For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, or many have died. Remember we touched on that last week with the Lord's Supper with communion, whenever they would go in and, and, and do communion. And the point that we was trying to make last week was that the Corinthians had irreverence for God. They were aware of their disobedience, and yet they did it anyway, and the result was weakness, sickness, and premature death. And we know that it didn't go too far because the church of Corinth doesn't exist today. They didn't listen. Had they listened... People would be looking and say, man, that church was around back whenever Paul was there. He, he walked around here, but they got, they're having to dig this stuff out of the ruins. I warned you last week that this does not mean that all sickness, weakness, and early death is due to sin. And we showed scripture for that, right? Sometimes they asked Jesus, they said, who sinned? Him? He knew this is for the glory of God. Job, the same thing happened. It was for the glory of God. And his buddies put him down and said, no, there's got to be some sin in his life. But we also showed when the guy was at the pool of Shalom and couldn't get into the waters, when they were troubled, Jesus said, what's going on? 
Well, I've got nobody to put me in. Jesus touched him and healed him. He met him in the temple. What did he tell him? You have been made well. Sin no more unless something worse come on you. So that can be the case. And we have that proof in Scripture. We lack true love when we avoid addressing the issues. We have answers for folks, but we avoid expressing them because we don't want to be misunderstood. So let's be honest with ourselves. Where is our focus of love? Do we love the church as Jesus and Paul did in speaking the truth to them? Or are we focused on ourselves, on our reputation, on losing our following, or being misunderstood? You see, that's what's going on today. And I asked you last week to do something in prayer through the week, something to do about it, and that is to ask God to speak to you about any reason for weakness in your life. Don't shovel it on the next guy. This is a one-on-one with the Lord, okay? And so we have to do that. What is it that is causing this weakness? The great physician will only diagnose and address the problem and lead you through the treatment if you give consent and participate. Knowingly being disobedient is a cancer that will weaken you and eventually kill you if not dealt with. That's what last two weeks was about. So now we're going to get into today. We're going to move fast, take some notes, do whatever. I warn you again, this is not a complete message unless y'all want to stay till two. See your hands if you want to stay till two. That's nobody. Good. Come back tonight. We'll finish it up. If you miss tonight... You miss a very important message that's going to help close it out. We're going to talk about the power of covetousness. Let me ask you a question. Is America weak spiritually? That's a unanimous yes. Why is America weak spiritually? Okay. Temptation by who? Because see what Paul was talking to last week when he was talking about the Lord's Supper. He was talking to believers, not the people of the world. Why is America weak spiritually? Because the churches in America are weak spiritually. You can say amen or not, but that's the truth. Why are the churches weak spiritually? Because the people are weak spiritually. You see, I perfectly expected to see Sister Murphy come in here and the Holy Ghost get a hold of her here soon and she dance around this church like she has before by being healed because we prayed. And I expected God to do that. Why didn't he? Yeah, we still expect that. But we can't keep looking around and putting all these excuses on things rather than asking those important questions. So yeah, America is weak spiritually, and that's because the church in America is weak spiritually, and that's because the members, the people of the church, are weak spiritually. Remember, the early church turned their world upside down, and we should be too. Amen? 1 Corinthians 11 and 28. We're going to read back what we read last week, okay? But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who drinks 
eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, now this is the scripture we looked at last week, this one particular verse, for this reason many are weak and sick among you and dying. But we're going to back up a little bit. It says, that for if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So we'll finish that out. But in verse 29, I'm going to read it from another version here. For those who eat and drink without discerning or honoring the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Now he is speaking to individuals, but he's also speaking to the church as a whole. We spend a great deal of time talking about having a, a personal relationship with Jesus. And yes, we should. That is very important. It's the most important thing we have, but sitting right there, right beside of it, is just what we are as a group of people. The Holy Ghost moved in the book of Acts because they were in one accord. Not because there was divisions. No, they were honoring the body of Christ. And that's what we have to look at. We have to have that same kind of importance, uh, importance into what we are looking at when we see that. Why were they sick and dying? It's because they were not discerning the Lord's body. Now let's go back a chapter into chapter 10. Paul is telling them about Israel's deliverance from the wilderness, or from Egypt and going into the wilderness. In verse 11 he says this, that it's an example and a warning for us in the latter days to protect us from certain judgment. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. Now all these things happened. Now I'm going to bounce around. I'm not going to read all this to you so you can turn your Bibles and follow me with it. I'm just going to point out some things. It said, now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for admonition or for our warning upon whom the ends of the ages have come. He goes and he's telling them about this. He's talking about their wilderness experience and he is showing that they have a covenant relationship with God. You folks have gotten married. Remember some of you that's gotten married that I've married you. One of the things we talk about is you ain't just getting in a covenant with her or him. You're also, God's in that covenant. So if you take a notion to get divorced and bust up, you've got to call God in on it. And if you do what scripture says, you're going to get through it. You're going to work it out. It's a covenant relationship. And that's what God had with these people. In the scriptures, he says, all were led by the Spirit of God. Remember, they were led by the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. All were led by the Spirit. All were delivered from Egypt, which is a type of this world. All were baptized. We were all baptized into one body, right? All ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual water, which is the word of God. The key word here is all. You see, we're sitting here today as a part of the body. Look at the world as a whole. There are people in churches today that are your brothers and sisters. You don't have a clue who they are, and probably a lot of them you can't speak their language, but they belong to Christ. They are a part of the body. So we're like a little molecule, so to speak. But we can also look at us for a local church. And see the same thing. You're a part of this body. We are baptized into Christ. And the rock that traveled with them was Jesus Christ in the wilderness. They were all in one body and they all belonged in one, to a one covenant keeping God. Just like we are with Jesus. Now God loves us beyond what we are able to comprehend. But folks, we're in charge of how pleased he is with us. 
You know that? We're in charge of that. 1 Corinthians 5.10 But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. You see that? He was not well pleased with the people in the wilderness. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 9 says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. Are we doing that? Are we trying to be well pleasing to him? And that's what we should be doing. That should be the goal of every believer is to be well pleasing to God. That's what should be happening. Why did these folks die outside of the promises that God made to them? Paul gives us five points. Now when I say Paul, I want you to understand this. When we're reading scripture, it's good I guess to know that Paul wrote it, but the fellow using the ink pen and putting the thoughts there was God. It is the word of God. It's not Paul's opinion. It's what God says. So we can say Paul did it, and I guess it's good to say he did it and know that, but but it's God. He said that coveting, coveting was happening in those scriptures there in, in, in 1 Corinthians 10. So what is coveting? It's intently desiring something not of God or outside of his provision. It's the having that want. He also pointed out idol worship. He pointed out sexual immorality. We're going to touch on that one tonight, by the way. He pointed out testing God. He pointed out complaining. We live in a day and age today that if you took the complaints out of people's minds or out of their voices, here's what they would say. Did you get it? They got nothing to talk about. The people in the wilderness, what they do? They complain to God because they got out of Egypt. What did they do? They complained about Moses because he was the one God sent. Didn't like him. That's the problem with the world today. That is the problem with the churches today is we got to have what God gives us. we got to hang on to him and we got to stop complaining. It's okay to complain about what happened on Fox News yesterday evening or up in New York City or somewhere else around the world. Let's look at the big picture. Now what do you do about it? It's okay for us as a local church to complain about things here at this local church. What are we going to do about it? Let's look for a solution, God's solution, and walk through it and watch Him show up and do some work. Amen? It's that simple. It's not, not hard about it. Nothing hard about it. 1 Corinthians 10 and 15, I speak, to, I speak as to wise men. He's saying, you're smart people. You, you get this. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? See, he's talking about communion here, just like in chapter 11. That's where he's going with these folks. And when he said they're not discerning the Lord's body, not honoring the Lord's body, not only his physical body, but also the body around you. 
Amen? I can affect you. You can affect me. I'm going to hope I can explain this good. We are individuals and we each have a personal relationship with God through Christ. We are also one body of Christ and we are united just as Israel was. I'm going to show you something in a minute. You remember, Israel's God's bride. The church is Jesus' bride. Okay? Not many brides, a bride. See, when the judgment of being weak, sick, and dying assigned to each individual who was sinning, was it, was it being assigned to them or was it being assigned to the believers of the Corinth church as a whole? Suffering the consequences because of the behavior of some of its members. Was that what was going on? Now don't misunderstand why well, I want to point this out again. There are personal consequences for known, practiced sin. You can't get away from it. But you know what? We can also affect those around us. He's addressing the believers as one body. So let's, let's just go ahead and go there. In Joshua chapter 6, that's where we're going to go, Kenan. We're going to look at one man's act of covetousness. We're going to touch on that today. Israel crossed the Jordan River, right? You remember the generation before they crossed over some spies and they said, we can't take these people. Man, they are big giants. They ain't no way. What happened? God said go. They said no. What happened? They didn't get to the promise. It's the next generation now, and the next generation... They're crossing over. So they cross over in, into the Jordan, and God gives specific instructions to Joshua for the taking of Jericho. A lot of them, but we're going to look at this one right here. In verse 17 of chapter 6 of Joshua, it says, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, and it all, in it and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Verse 18. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Did you catch that? You can read over it again yourself. Verse 19, but all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. All the spoils, all the silver and gold is dedicated to the Lord and is to come into his treasury and it was not meant for individual gain. It saddens me that we have ministries that are as rich as they can be when it comes to dollars and you got others, they can't get anything done in the church because they have no money. All because of this mindset of us and them. That's a little side note, we're not in the notes. It saddens me when that happens. That we can't be like the early church. Could this be one of our issues? They attacked the city and they destroyed it. You remember that? They had to march around seven times and blow the horns on the seventh day. What happened in that? 
They destroyed it, and guess what the Bible says? They didn't have nary a casualty. Nobody was hurt. wonder why. But it don't end there. Joshua chapter 7 and verse 1, a few days later. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebdi, the son of Zarah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Do you see the picture we're trying to paint here this morning? Israel was united as one. And when one member sinned by violating God's instructions in coveting, the responsibility was put on the whole camp. Didn't I just read it? But the children of Israel committed. You see that? The children of Israel committed. And his anger was against the whole lot of people, not just Achan. There's some consequences. Go to verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, and on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Next verse. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not worry all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. Now I want to show you how insignificant AI was. He said, you see, he said two or three thousand people. Whenever they went to Jericho, it was about six hundred thousand men. And they had no casualties. Now they're going to go up against AI, and what do they take? Three thousand men. That's a big difference, isn't it? Not much to worry about, not much to have to go up against. But what happened in verse 4? So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. You see that? They fled. They retreated. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Now, folks, wasn't this the same army that just a week earlier, a couple of weeks earlier, a few days earlier, that had gone in and totally annihilated Jericho and didn't have a casualty won? Something happened to weaken these people. Think about this. Achan sinned, but nothing happened to him or his family. At the end of that day, there were 36 men dead. A son wasn't coming back home. A husband wasn't coming back home. A father wasn't coming back home. And they did nothing. In fact, they knew nothing of Achan's sin. You see that? They knew nothing of it. But yet, they had to pay the consequences. There was a consequence for that sin. And it was tragic. Their husband or daddy or son, they had done nothing. But Achan did. Joshua and the leaders are confused and they start crying out. Go to verse 7. 
And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the land of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Ain't that how we get sometimes? We just want to go back to the way it was. And the whole time, let me tell you, get this in your spirits as a Christian, as a believer this morning. You don't like change? There's a problem. Because for the rest of your life, until you go by way of the grave or by way of the rapture, God's going to be changing you. You get in a car wreck today. If you get saved today, get in a car wreck today, get killed up here at the corner, you're going to go to heaven. And you may not even know anything about a Bible. You may not own a Bible. But something happened. But as you go through this life, God is going to continually be revealing things to us. That's the problem that's going on in America today. Things have been revealed and we're like, I don't like that. And at the very moment when you get to that place, that is willful disobedience. And that is sin in the camp. Sin is in the camp. Remember, You're a part of a body. More specifically, you're a part of this local body. 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 says, Your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? We sometimes say, well, people paint with a broad brush. They look at Christians that way. Let's look at it from the other side. How does God look at it? Why ain't we touching people when we see in the healings happening? I have a better question for you. Why ain't we reaching the community and got new people coming in? We just got people coming from other churches got mad over there. And you know what? If something don't happen and we don't teach them and they learn, they're going to get mad here and go over there. We taught that right in the bait of Satan. You don't deal with the problem, then the next place you go, the devil's going to come back again, and it's going to be a vicious cycle. Oh, I go to church every week. Oh, I do this, I do that. I'm surfing, I'm doing this. No. Why ain't we seeing power happening? Are y'all, do y'all want to know the answers to this? Do y'all want to go through this, this thing so that we as a church are going to be powerful? I'm going to preach it anyway. He gave it to me to do. I'll be done by about April. Somewhere in there with this message, with this series. But we got to remember, he gave this as a warning. And he's given it to us as a local body. He's given it to us as a church in America. This is the warning. This is the warning. Sing out of the book or sing off the wall. Sing with or without a guitar. This is the warning. The power of God to move. That's what it's about. So they asked the Lord, why have you brought us over this? Look at what God says in verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Verse 11, Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have even stolen and deceived. And they have also put it under their own stuff. He didn't say that a man among you had sinned. He said Israel had sinned. They didn't even know that Achan had done this. They knew nothing of his covetousness, but yet they suffered. The entire body suffered. Joshua finds out that it's Achan and he confronts him. 
And this is what Achan says in verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord of Israel. And this is what I have done. He even confessed. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. See, Joshua and the leaders, they did something. They dealt with him swiftly. Let's look at what they did. Verse 24 of chapter 7 of Joshua. Then Joshua and all, the, and all Israel with him took Achan and the, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, the sons, the daughters, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned him with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones. And it's still there today. Look at this next piece right here. So the Lord turned from his fierceness of his anger. You see, if we don't ask the questions and we don't deal with it, that's not pleasing to God. Why aren't we doing that? Are we worried about hurting somebody's feelings? Are we worried about losing the checkbooks? Are we worried about whether we're going to pay the, the power bill? Don't we really and truly believe that we serve a God who is the owner of the cattle of a thousand hills? All the silver and gold is his? We're worried about losing a friendship? We're going to cover that tonight, by the way. Because it has to be dealt with. And we're seeing in Scripture that it has to be dealt with. And this Old Testament incident illustrates exactly what Paul was saying to the church at Corinth. See, weakness is the cause of an endless list of struggles with believers. Weakness. Spiritual weakness. All kinds of things. In the days of Solomon, I told you all the other week, there was nobody on welfare unemployed. Everybody had a house and he had a garden. Now, he might not have had a whole lot of other stuff, but he had a, he had a house and he had food. He had to work for it. He had to raise his garden. But you know what? I believe if somebody couldn't do it, somebody went over and helped him. Amen? We live in a society today, this is what's in it for me. Brother Randy gave me a movie this morning called Dunkirk. I want to watch it because it tells the story over in Europe or over in England whenever these men were stranded, the Germans were around them. And what happened? The people got on their own personal boats and they risked life, limb, and property to go so these guys could be saved. You try to do that today and somebody's going to say, what am I getting out of it? That's the state. How did it get that way? Because the weak church didn't reach out to the people and tell them that. No, we were too busy building big houses. We are too busy building big churches. We are too busy building all these things that we, that we like to call church. And yet the power of God ain't moving. That's the thing that's going on. And that's the thing that we have to face. In the book of Acts, they didn't lack anything. And the people experienced all kinds of healing. They experienced that the church was growing. Why aren't we seeing this today? Could it be that the practice sin of some is affecting the life of others? Could it be that that's affecting the church? 
Could we be seeing what Israel experienced with Ai? It is important for me once again to stress there are consequences for practice known sin upon the individual. Achan was punished severely, but Israel also had to deal with his sin. They also felt something from that. We are part of a body. We are part of a body, folks, and we can never, ever forget that. See, when we deal with these liberating truths, it sometimes will come across as negative. Hey, they beat Paul up all the time, right? Throwed him into jail. They didn't like Paul. But he hung on to Jesus. He took what was needed to happen. Ultimately, folks, when the truth is revealed, it will liberate us. And it will bring us freedom in places where there was once hindrances. Jesus said in Matthew 25, Jesus knew the thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Let's use Huddleston Church as an example real quick. If we are divided against ourselves, what is going to be the outcome? Not just a church split. That's devil stuff. No, it'll die. It'll die. Because Jesus said, we'll not stand. Well, it might be here for another 10 years. It might be here for another 150 years if time lasts. But then it might be just like the church of Corinth and be under a bunch of sand. And then there's a nation called Greece that has got polytheism. They worship just about anything they want. They get little pieces of this and a little piece of that. They call it Christianity in some cases. And they teach that, and guess what? God doesn't honor it. They almost went under, what, a few years ago because they're a whole bankrupt. they went bankrupt. Their economy is worthless. You see what I'm talking about? And the warning God has given to America today is it our church too? Is it you in your house? That's the question you've got to ask. You've got to let this stuff come in and you've got to let it do something inside of your body. See, this truth will set us free. Jesus said in John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Not telling you what you want to hear will make you free. Telling you what you want to hear will make you happy for a moment. But trust me, there'll be a minute later you'll be mad about something. But the truth will make you free. And the devil loses a foothold. Is that truth or not? Now wake up. Is that truth or not? The truth will set you free. Not me telling you what you want to hear will set you free. The truth will set you free. Sunday school teachers, the truth will set them free. Pastor Charlie, the truth will set you free. Pastor Ashley, can you hear me over there? The truth will set the kids free. Believers in this church sitting around here right now, the truth will set them free. They may dislike you after the fact, but what is more important, you or Jesus? What is our motive? What's making us move? What is exciting us? We're singing to Jesus. We're worshiping Jesus. We're studying the Word. We need to be about His business, and that's exactly what Paul was talking with these people See, the devil understands one of the most effective military strategies of all. Divide and conquer. It's been working since the beginning. They're still doing it today. They teach it at West Point, And the devil knows it very well. 
Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ knows it too. What did he tell us? Matthew 20, 12 and 25. But Jesus knew their thoughts. I'm telling it to you again because I want it to get in. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Your home cannot stand whenever a mom and dad's divided. Your business cannot stand whenever there's division happening there. Whenever we dedicate our lives to Christ, we dedicate everything to Him. And we get divided. It weakens us as a whole. One of the greatest things you can do in your life is to live every day, every moment of every day, totally devoted to Christ. That's what's what makes the change. If I'm totally devoted to Christ, Brother Danny, and you need to hear something or you ask me a question, I don't just tell you what you want to hear and I really not agree with it. And brother, let me tell you, I've heard that happen. And that is so in division. If I really love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. If you don't get it, that's between you and Jesus. If you hate me for it, okay. I don't want that to happen. But if that truth gets in your heart, you're going to be a powerful man of God. You're going to be a powerful Christian. And you'll be able to do it to the next guy because you know that it's truth. Because the truth will set you free. You get it. You'll understand it. You'll know it. And we have to live our lives devoted to Jesus. This means dedicating all of our regular, everyday activities to God as worship to Him. You're going to school. Pete, you're starting school next week. No, tomorrow. That is next week. Do it. For Jesus. You have no idea what he has in store for you. The plan he has for you, but he does. Hang on to him. Hang on to him, girl. Because someday when you're hanging on to him, it's going to be known. It's going to be something that's going to bring glory to him. I don't know what that looks like in your life. I haven't been given that vision. I haven't been given that. But I do know this. And what I have been given is for the church. The church of Jesus Christ around the world, particularly in our nation, it's not the politicians, it's this truth coming in and saying we've got to face some things. If we quit, don't ask the questions, we don't want the answers, and we don't want to put it into action, we die. And you got to hear this message this morning to know that. We die. See, God wants your whole life, not just your Sunday mornings. I don't know what you have, and I please don't take this as me trying to beat you up. Just how important is this message to you? Is me bringing you a gallon of soup more important than me giving you the word of God that the truth will set you free? How important is this message to you tonight at 6 o'clock? I'm not browbeating you. That's between you and Jesus. Please understand that. This is out of love. You take away one of the links out of the chain and then you start pulling and the back end don't catch up with the front end. And this is a study. This is a study to help us through our time of fasting. I'm going to tell you now, you could can, you can go without a meal for the next 10 years. If you could live. If you don't let the truths of God come in and do something in your life, it doesn't mean anything. You went through emotion. You went through something. Oh, we fasted over to church and there ain't nothing happening. You know why there's nothing happening? You can grab a hold of Jesus. 
Because when he shows up, things happen. Amen? When he shows up, healing happens. When he shows up, people will get saved. When he shows up, people that are living down here, but way, way below the means that he has for them, now all of a sudden they're walking up here. What happens then? Your circle of friends now see a change. Your circle of friends now want to know what's going on. And therefore, there's a change that will start happening in the community. There's a change that will start happening in the family. There's a change that will start happening in the church. Do you see that? Otherwise, we go through the motions. Sing four songs, take up an offering. Preacher gets up and preach. Be done by 12. It's a minute after. Let's go home. See you next week. Unless something comes up. Ain't that what we do? Ain't that church in America? Brother Willie is going to have to step down from some of the duties that he's doing because he's having to help take care of Sister Margaret. And I thank you for your service. I sit here right now. Please, church, don't take this the wrong way, but take it for what it is. What am I going to do? Who wants to step up and do it? Raise your hand. See what I mean? Maybe they're not here today. Maybe they're gone today. They're traveling. That's the stuff we got to pray about. See what I mean? So what are we going to do, church? I told you that these messages in the, in the beginning, they're going to be hard. But there's liberation coming. We're going to talk tonight some more along these subjects. You see, if Sunday morning is just your thing and that's all God gets from you, I don't know what you do at your home. If you're feeling guilty now and mad at me because of what I just said, there's probably some truth sitting there that's really getting under your skirt right now. There's a burr under your saddle right now just eating you up. That's the Holy Ghost doing it. Because I have no idea what your life is like outside of here. I'm not Jesus. God's everywhere all the time. He knows our thoughts. That ought to be a clue right there. Oh, who, he don't know who I am. Who's he think he is? I'm just, I'm following the Lord here. You see what I'm talking about? If that's you, it's time to repent. Because the day of salvation has already happened for you. Now it's time to grow up. And if we don't make a difference, we can't worry about what's going on up the road and down the road. No, we've got assignment right here among us. If we don't make a difference, who will? It falls on us, church. And to have truth revealed to us should make us rejoice. It should make us rejoice. But I want to invite you this morning right now, if you don't know who Christ is as your Lord and Savior, you've never invited him into your heart, let us pray with you. Let us pray with you so there will be a change. And if you received Christ, I don't care how many years ago it was, it could have been last week. And the Holy Ghost just talked to you this morning about something. Won't you come and pray? You see, he is the great physician, and he knows how to fix us, and he knows how to get us through it. And the most painful thing that will happen is you get up out of your seat and you walk up here and say, I need something to happen different in my life. That's the difference of when liberation happens and whether it doesn't.
because you see, oh, I don't want them looking at me. You see, life is still about you. It ain't about Jesus. That's the whole thing about covetousness and idolatry. We're going to get deeper into these things, but idolatry ain't just, we could make that cross an idol. You know that in our hearts? It's not just about going to an altar or some kind of mosque or something like that or some little figurine. No, idolatry, the biggest idolatry thing that you got in your life and I got in mine is me. Because I don't want to let Jesus take over. I don't want to admit I'm wrong. I don't want to admit that I've fallen short and that I need him to help me through. And the devil says, stay put. Nobody knows you're fine. Not according to what we covered this morning. It leads to death. So won't you come and pray this morning? Play us some music, Brother George, something soft. I've spent a lot of time, folks, making phone calls. I've spent a lot of time talking to folks. And the one thing that I promised on day one when I started this, I'm going to follow Jesus. I've spent a lot of time being told ain't nothing wrong. Therefore, I can't let the Holy Ghost lead me in ministering because he's the one to do the work, not Ken. I've spent a lot of time wanting to do something and somebody says, no, I am not having this conversation. See, it's how we know what's going on in the world. That's how the world acts. And the Apostle Paul, he went to the root of the problem. How did he do that? He hung on to Christ. I promise day one, Jesus, I'll do what you ask me to do. I'll preach what you want me to preach. In one-on-one conversations or in a group setting, I will give what you ask me to give. And I pray, Father, that it's going to be great, great stuff happening. But I also know this. Personal will is very, very powerful. And the devil plays on it. He'll keep you from being set free. And he'll keep you from doing what needs to be done. And he'll talk you into whenever you get mad, you just grab a hold of as many people as you can so they can be mad with you. All because of truth. Don't allow him to have that kind of power. You see, we're empowered, right? We're the church. We're empowered. That means that the things that the devil wants to do is under our feet. Because Jesus said, these things that you've seen me do, you will do and greater. Are we even doing what we've seen him do? Where's the greater at? Why? That's the questions I've been asking and God has given the answers. Why ain't we seeing this? I would much rather have come into a church that was vibrant and growing and just, ooh, everything was whooping. No, God said, no, I've got a job for you to do. There are individuals that's going to come into your life that they need you to do what I tell you to tell them to do. That you can help them to be able to see. I'm not perfect, okay? So I'm not your example. No, the example is the Bible. The example is what he shows us. Doesn't take away from the truth, right? got to hold on to him folks this thing is coming to an end soon let me tell you again this thing is coming to an end very very soon 
do remember this. I want you to get this in your spirit. Do remember this. There will be those on that day that will come to Jesus. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew who you were. That's the warning. See, we're going to take communion next week. We're going to talk a little bit about it tonight, but communion back then, it was a meal that they had. We do more of a ceremony with little crackers and a little bit of juice. We know what it means. But these people were not honoring the body of Christ. They weren't honoring each other. We're going to cover this stuff tonight, folks. Selfishness. Paul warned them. And they did nothing with it. God says we're going to write it down in the pages of the Bible. So that the people in the generations to come, they get to know it too. Amen.